We want to hear from you. Help us determine which books to read on the Sleepy Bookshelf by voting on our website, sleepybookshelf.com. Good evening, and welcome to the Sleepy Bookshelf, where we put down our worries from the day and pick up a good book. I'm Elizabeth, your host. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. This evening we'll be continuing with Pride and Prejudice, but before we open our book, let's take a moment to clear our minds and relax our bodies. First, get comfortable where you are and take a big stretch. Allow your muscles to melt into your bed, relieving them of any tension. Now, let's take some deep breaths. Inhale and gather together any thoughts or concerns. And exhale, letting them all go. Once more, inhale and exhale. Try to keep your focus on my voice when you feel your mind drifting from the story. And before you know it, you'll be sound asleep. Now last time, Elizabeth and the gardeners were visiting Pemberley House on their tour around Derbyshire. Elizabeth had it on good authority that the family were not in residence, but the housekeeper informed them that she did expect them to arrive the following morning. Further relieved that she wouldn't bump into Mr. Darcy, Elizabeth allowed herself to enjoy the tour. She listened with disbelief as the housekeeper described the kindness and generosity of her master and absorbed her surroundings with awe, wondering what it would have been like to have accepted Darcy's proposal and to have become mistress of this fine estate. As they met the gardener for the tour of the grounds, They were taken by surprise as Mr. Darcy approached the group, having just arrived from London much earlier than expected. After getting over the initial shock of seeing Elizabeth on his estate, Darcy was extremely cordial and gentlemanly, taking the time to introduce himself to her aunt and uncle and walking the grounds with them. He eventually asked Elizabeth if he could introduce her to his sister when she arrived with the Bingleys the next day. And that is where we pick back up tonight, with Elizabeth in anticipation of meeting Miss Darcy and wondering what this sudden change in countenance could mean.
Chapter 2 Elizabeth had settled it that Mr. Darcy would bring his sister to visit her the very day after her reaching Pemberley, and was consequently resolved not to be out of sight of the inn the whole of that morning. But her conclusion was false, for on the very morning after their own arrival at Lambton, these visitors came. They had been walking about the place with some of their new friends and were just returned to the inn to dress themselves for dining with the same family when the sound of a carriage drew them to a window. They saw a gentleman and lady driving up the street. Elizabeth immediately recognized the livery, guessing what it meant and imparted to no small degree of surprise to her relations by acquainting them with the honor which she expected. Her uncle and aunt were all amazement, and the embarrassment of her manner as she spoke joined to the circumstance itself and many of the circumstances of the preceding day opened to them a new idea on the business. Nothing had ever suggested it before, but now they felt that there was no other way of accounting for such attentions from such a quarter than by supposing a partiality for their niece. While these newly born notions were passing in their heads, the perturbation of Elizabeth's feelings was every moment increasing. She was quite amazed at her own discomposure, but amongst the other causes of disquiet, she dreaded lest the partiality of the brother should have said too much in her favor, and being more than commonly anxious to please, she naturally suspected that every power of pleasing would fail her. She retreated from the window, fearful of being seen, and as she walked up and down the room, endeavoring to compose herself, she saw such looks of inquiring surprise in her uncle and aunt as made everything worse. Miss Darcy and her brother appeared, and this formidable introduction took place. With astonishment did Elizabeth see that her new acquaintance was at least as much embarrassed as herself. Since her being at Lambton, she had heard that Miss Darcy was exceedingly proud but the observation of a very few minutes convinced her that she was only exceedingly shy. She found it difficult to obtain even a word from her beyond a monosyllable. Miss Darcy was tall and on a larger scale than Elizabeth, and, though a little more than sixteen, her figure was formed and her appearance womanly and graceful. She was less handsome than her brother, 
but there was sense and good humor in her face, and her manners were perfectly unassuming and gentle. Elizabeth, who had expected to find her as acute and unembarrassed an observer as ever Mr. Darcy had been, was much relieved by discerning such different feelings. They had not been long together before Darcy told her that Bingley was also coming to wait on her. She had barely time to express her satisfaction and prepare for such a visitor when Bingley's quick step was heard on the stairs, and in a moment he entered the room. All Elizabeth's anger against him had been long done away, but had she still felt any, it could hardly have stood its ground against the unaffected cordiality with which he expressed himself on seeing her again. He inquired in a friendly, though general way after her family, and looked and spoke with the same good-humoured ease that he had ever done. To Mr. and Mrs. Gardner, he was scarcely a less interesting personage than to herself. They had longed wished to see him, the whole party before them, indeed, excited a lively attention. The suspicions which had just arisen of Mr. Darcy and their niece directed their observation towards each with an earnest, though guarded, inquiry, and they soon drew from those inquiries the full conviction that one of them, at least, knew what it was to love. Of the ladies' sensations they remained a little in doubt, but that the gentleman was overflowing with admiration was evident enough. Elizabeth, on her side, had much to do. She wanted to ascertain the feelings of each of her visitors, she wanted to compose her own feelings and to make herself agreeable to all. And in the latter object, where she feared most to fail, she was most sure of success. For those to whom she endeavored to give pleasure were prepossessed in her favor. Bingley was ready, Georgiana was eager, and Darcy determined to be pleased. In seeing Bingley, her thoughts naturally flew to her sister, and oh, how ardently did she long to know whether any of his were directed in a like manner. Sometimes she could fancy that he talked less than on former occasions, and once or twice pleased herself with the notion that as he looked at her, he was trying to trace a resemblance. But, though this might be imaginary, she could not be deceived as to his behavior to Miss Darcy, who had been set up as a rival of Jane. 
No look appeared on either side that spoke of particular regard. Nothing occurred between them that could justify the hopes of his sister. On this point, she was soon satisfied. And two or three little circumstances occurred ere they parted, which, in her anxious interpretation, denoted a recollection of Jane, not untinctured by tenderness, and a wish of saying more that might lead to the mention of her, had he dared. He observed to her, at a moment when the others were talking together, and in a tone which had something of real regret, that it was a very long time since he had the pleasure of seeing her. And before she could reply, he added, It is above eight months. We have not met since the 26th of November, when we were all dancing together at Netherfield. Elizabeth was pleased to find his memory so exact, and he afterwards took occasion to ask her, when unattended to by any of the rest, whether all her sisters were at Longbourn. There was not much in the question, nor in the preceding remark, but there was a look and a manner which gave them meaning. It was not often that she could turn her eyes on Mr. Darcy himself, but whenever she did catch a glimpse, she saw an expression of general complacence. And in all that he said, she had an accent so far removed from hauteur or disdain of his companions as convinced her that the improvement of manners which she had yesterday witnessed, however temporary its existence might prove, had at least outlived one day. When she saw him thus seeking the acquaintance and courting the good opinion of people with whom any intercourse a few months ago would have been a disgrace, when she saw him thus civil not only to herself but to the very relations whom he had openly disdained, and when she recollected their last lively scene in Huntsford Parsonage, the difference, the change, was so great and struck so forcibly on her mind that she could hardly restrain her astonishment from being visible. Never, even in the company of his dear friends at Netherfield, or his dignified relations at Rosings, had she seen him so desirous to please so free from self-consequence or unbending reserve as now, when no importance could result from the success of his endeavors, and when even the acquaintance of those to whom his attentions were addressed would draw down the ridicule and censure of the ladies both of Netherfield and Rosings. Their visitors stayed with them over half an hour, and, 
when they arose to depart, Mr. Darcy called on his sister to join him in expressing their wish of seeing Mr. and Mrs. Gardiner and Miss Bennet to dinner at Pemberley before they left the country. Miss Darcy, though with diffidence which marked her little in the habit of giving invitations, readily obeyed. Mrs. Gardiner looked at her niece, desirous of knowing how she, whom the invitation most concerned, felt disposed as to its acceptance. But Elizabeth had turned away her head. Presuming, however, that this studied avoidance spoke rather a momentary embarrassment than any dislike of the proposal, and seeing in her husband, who was fond of society, a perfect willingness to accept it, she ventured to engage for her attendance, and the day after the next was fixed on. Bingley expressed great pleasure in the certainty of seeing Elizabeth again, having still a great deal to say to her, and many inquiries to make after all their Hertfordshire friends. Elizabeth, construing all this into a wish of hearing her speak of her sister, was pleased, and on this account, as well as some others, found herself, when the visitors left them, capable of considering the last half hour with some satisfaction. Though, while it was passing, the enjoyment of it had been little. Eager to be alone, and fearful of inquiries or hints from her uncle and aunt, she stayed with them only long enough to hear their favourable opinion of Bingley, and then hurried away to dress. But she had no reason to fear Mr. and Mrs. Gardiner's curiosity. It was not their wish to force her communication. It was evident that she was much better acquainted with Mr. Darcy than they had before any idea of. It was evident that he was very much in love with her. They saw much to interest, but nothing to justify inquiry. Of Mr. Darcy, it was now a matter of anxiety to think well, and, as far as their acquaintance reached, there was no fault to find. They could not be untouched by his politeness, and they had drawn his character from their own feelings and his servant's report, without any reference to any other account. The circle in Hertfordshire to which he was known would not have recognized it for Mr. Darcy. There was now an interest, however, in believing the housekeeper and they soon became sensible that the authority of a servant who had known him since he was four years old, and whose own manners indicated respectability, was not to be hastily rejected. 
Neither had anything occurred in the intelligence of their Lambton friends that could materially lessen its weight. They had nothing to accuse him of but pride. Pride he probably had, and if not, it would certainly be imputed by the inhabitants of a small market town where the family did not visit. It was acknowledged, however, that he was a liberal man and did much good among the poor. With respect to Wickham, the travellers soon found that he was not held there in much estimation. For though the chief of his concerns with the son of his patron were imperfectly understood, it was yet a well-known fact that on his leaving Derbyshire, he had left many debts behind him, which Mr. Darcy afterwards discharged. As for Elizabeth, her thoughts were at Pemberley this evening more than the last. And the evening, though as it passed seemed long, was not long enough to determine her feelings towards one in that mansion. She lay awake two whole hours, endeavouring to make them out. She certainly did not hate him. No, hatred had vanished long ago, and she had almost as long been ashamed of ever feeling a dislike against him that could be so called. The respect created by the conviction of his valuable qualities, though at first unwillingly admitted, had for some time ceased to be repugnant to her feelings, and it was now heightened into somewhat of a friendlier nature by the testimony so highly in his favour, and bringing forward his disposition in so amiable a light which yesterday had produced. But above all, above respect and esteem, there was a motive within her of goodwill which could not be overlooked. It was gratitude. Gratitude not merely for having once loved her, but for loving her still well enough to forgive all the petulance and acrimony of her manner in rejecting him, and all the unjust accusations accompanying her rejection. He, who, she had been persuaded, would avoid her as his greatest enemy, seemed on accidental meeting most eager to preserve the acquaintance, and, without any indelicate display of regard, or any peculiarity of manner where their two selves only were concerned, he was soliciting the good opinion of her friends and bent on making her known to his sister. Such a change in a man of so much pride excited not only astonishment, but gratitude. For to love, ardent love, the change must be attributed. 
and as such, its impression on her was of a sort to be encouraged as by no means unpleasing, though it could not be exactly defined. She respected, she esteemed, she was grateful to him. She felt a real interest in his welfare, and she only wanted to know how far she wished that welfare to depend upon herself, and how far it would be for the happiness of both that she should employ the power, which her fancy told her she still possessed, of bringing on the renewal of his addresses. It had been settled in the evening between the aunt and niece that such a striking civility as Miss Darcy's in coming to them on the very day of her arrival at Pemberley, for she had reached it only to a late breakfast, ought to be imitated, though it could not be equaled, by some exertion of politeness on their side, and, consequently, that it would be highly expedient to wait on her at Pemberley the following morning. They were, therefore, to go. Elizabeth was pleased, though when she asked herself the reason, she had very little to say in reply. Mr. Gardiner left them soon after breakfast. The fishing scheme had been renewed the day before, and a positive engagement made of his meeting some of the gentlemen at Pemberley by noon. Chapter 3 Convinced as Elizabeth now was that Miss Bingley's dislike of her had originated in jealousy, she could not help feeling how very unwelcome her appearance at Pemberley must be to her and was curious to know with how much civility on that lady's side the acquaintance would now be removed. On reaching the house, they were shown through the hall into the saloon, whose northern aspect rendered it delightful for summer. Its windows, opening to the ground, admitted a most refreshing view of the high woody hills behind the house and of the beautiful oaks and Spanish chestnuts which were scattered over the intermediate lawn. In this room, they were received by Miss Darcy, who was sitting there with Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley, and the lady with whom she lived in London. Georgiana's reception of them was very civil, but it was accompanied with all the embarrassment which, though proceeding from shyness and the fear of doing wrong, would easily give to those who felt themselves inferior the belief of her being proud and reserved. Mrs. Gardiner and her niece, however, did her justice and pitied her. By Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley, they were noticed only by a curtsy, and on their being seated 
a pause, awkward as such pauses must always be, succeeded for a few moments. It was first broken by Mrs. Annesley, a genteel, agreeable-looking woman whose endeavor to introduce some kind of discourse proved her to be more truly well-bred than either of the others. And between her and Mrs. Gardiner, with occasional help from Elizabeth, the conversation was carried on. Miss Darcy looked as if she wished for courage enough to join in it, and sometimes did venture a short sentence when there was least danger of its being heard. Elizabeth soon saw that she was herself closely watched by Miss Bingley and that she could not speak a word, especially to Miss Darcy, without calling her attention. This observation would not have prevented her from trying to talk to the latter had they not been seated at an inconvenient distance. But she was not sorry to be spared the necessity of saying much. Her own thoughts were employing her. She expected every moment that some of the gentlemen would enter the room. She wished, she feared, that the master of the house might be amongst them. And whether she wished or feared it most, she could scarcely determine. After sitting in this manner a quarter of an hour without hearing Miss Bingley's voice, Elizabeth was roused by receiving from her a cold inquiry after the health of her family. She answered with equal indifference and brevity, and the other said no more. The next variation which their visit afforded was produced by the entrance of servants with cold meat, cake, and a variety of all the finest fruits in season. But this did not take place till after many a significant look and smile from Mrs. Annesley to Miss Darcy had been given to remind her of her post. There was now employment for the whole party, for though they could not all talk, they could all eat, and the beautiful pyramids of grapes, nectarines, and peaches soon collected them round the table. While thus engaged, Elizabeth had a fair opportunity of deciding whether she most feared or wished for the appearance of Mr. Darcy, by the feelings which prevailed on his entering the room. And then, though but for a moment before she had believed her wishes to predominate, she began to regret that he came. He had been some time with Mr. Gardiner, who, with two or three other gentlemen from the house, was engaged by the river, and left him only on learning that the ladies of the family intended a visit to Georgiana that morning. 
No sooner did he appear than Elizabeth wisely resolved to be perfectly easy and unembarrassed, a resolution the more necessary to be made, but perhaps not the more easily kept, because she saw that the suspicions of the whole party were awakened against them, and that there was scarcely an eye which did not watch his behavior when he first came into the room. In no countenance was attentive curiosity so strongly marked as in Miss Bingley's, in spite of the smiles which overspread her face whenever she spoke to one of its objects. For jealousy had not yet made her desperate, and her attentions to Mr. Darcy were by no means over. Miss Darcy, on her brother's entrance, exerted herself much more to talk, and Elizabeth saw that he was anxious for his sister and herself to get acquainted, and forwarded, as much as possible, every attempt at conversation on either side. Miss Bingley saw all this likewise, and in the imprudence of anger, took the first opportunity of saying, with sneering civility, Pray, Miss Eliza, are not the militia removed from Meryton? They must be a great loss to your family. In Darcy's presence, she dared not mention Wickham's name, but Elizabeth instantly comprehended that he was uppermost in her thoughts and the various recollections connected with him gave her a moment's distress. But, exerting herself vigorously to repel the ill-natured attack, she presently answered the question in a tolerably disengaged tone. While she spoke, an involuntary glance showed her Darcy with a heightened complexion earnestly looking at her, and his sister, overcome with confusion and unable to lift up her eyes. Had Miss Bingley known what pain she was then giving her beloved friend, she undoubtedly would have refrained from the hint, but she had merely intended to discompose Elizabeth by bringing forward the idea of a man to whom she believed her partial, to make her betray a sensibility which might injure her in Darcy's opinion, and perhaps to remind the latter of all the follies and absurdities by which some part of her family were connected with that core. Not a syllable had ever reached her, of Miss Darcy's meditated elopement. To no creature had it been revealed where secrecy was possible, except to Elizabeth. And from all Bingley's connections, her brother was particularly anxious to conceal it, from that very wish which Elizabeth had long ago attributed to him of their becoming hereafter her own. He had certainly formed such a plan, 
and without meaning that it should affect his endeavor to separate him from Miss Jane Bennet, it is probable that it might add something to his lively concern for the welfare of his friend. Elizabeth's collected behavior, however, soon quieted his emotion. And Miss Bingley, vexed and disappointed, dared not approach nearer to Wickham. Georgiana also recovered in time, though not enough to be able to speak anymore. Her brother, whose eye she feared to meet, scarcely recollected her interest in the affair, and the very circumstance which had been designed to turn his thoughts from Elizabeth seemed to have fixed them on her more and more cheerfully. Their visit did not continue long after the question and answer above mentioned. While Mr. Darcy was accompanying them to their carriage, Miss Bingley was venting her feelings in criticisms on Elizabeth's person, behavior, and dress. But Georgiana would not join her. Her brother's recommendation was enough to ensure her favor. His judgment could not err, and he had spoken in such terms of Elizabeth as to leave Georgiana without the power of finding her otherwise than lovely and amiable. When Darcy returned to the saloon, Miss Bingley could not help repeating to him some part of what she had been saying to his sister. How very ill Eliza Bennet looks this morning, Mr. Darcy, she said. I never in my life saw anyone so much altered as she is since the winter. She has grown so coarse. Louisa and I were agreeing that we should not have known her again. However little Mr. Darcy might have liked such an address, he contented himself with coolly replying that he perceived no other alteration than her being rather tanned, no miraculous consequence of traveling in the summer. For my own part, she rejoined, I must confess that I never could see any beauty in her. Her face is too thin, her complexion has no brilliancy, and her features are not at all handsome. Her nose wants character, and there is nothing marked in its lines. Her teeth are tolerable, but not out of the common way. And as for her eyes, which have sometimes been called so fine, I never could perceive anything extraordinary in them. They have a sharp, shrewish look, which I do not like at all. And in her air altogether, there is a self-sufficiency without fashion, which is intolerable. Persuaded as Miss Bingley was that Darcy admired Elizabeth, this was not the best method of recommending herself. But angry people are not always wise, 
and in seeing him at last look somewhat nettled, she had all the success she expected. He was resolutely silent, however, and from a determination of making him speak, she continued. I remember when we first knew her in Hertfordshire, how amazed we all were to find that she was a reputed beauty. And I particularly recollect your saying one night, after they had been dining at Netherfield, she a beauty, I should as soon call her mother a wit. But afterwards, she seemed to improve on you, and I believe you thought her rather pretty at one time. Yes, replied Darcy, who could contain himself no longer. But that was only when I first knew her, for it is many months since I have considered her as one of the most handsomest women of my acquaintance. He then went away, and Miss Bingley was left to all the satisfaction of having forced him to say what gave no one any pain but herself. Mrs. Gardner and Elizabeth talked of all that had occurred during their visit as they returned, except what had particularly interested them both. The looks and behavior of everybody they had seen were discussed, except of the person who had mostly engaged their attention. They talked of his sister, his friends, his house, his fruit, of everything but himself. Yet Elizabeth was longing to know what Mrs. Gardiner thought of him, and Mrs. Gardiner would have been highly gratified by her niece's beginning the subject. Chapter 4 Elizabeth had been a good deal disappointed in not finding a letter from Jane on their first arrival at Lambton, and this disappointment had been renewed on each of the mornings that had now been spent there. But on the third, her repining was over, and her sister justified by the receipt of two letters from her at once, on one of which was marked that it had been missent elsewhere. Elizabeth was not surprised at it, as Jane had written the address remarkably ill. They had just been preparing to walk as the letters came in, and her uncle and aunt, leaving her to enjoy them in quiet, set off by themselves. The one missent must be the first attended to, as it had been written five days ago. The beginning contained an account of all their little parties and engagements, with such news as the country afforded. But the latter half, which was dated a day later and written in evident agitation, gave more important intelligence. It was to this effect. Since writing the above, dearest Lizzie, something has occurred 
have a most unexpected and serious nature that I am afraid of alarming you. Be assured that we are all well. What I have to say relates to poor Lydia. An express came at twelve last night, just as we were all gone to bed, from Colonel Forster to inform us that she was gone off to Scotland with one of the officers, to own the truth with Wickham. Imagine our surprise. To Kitty, however, it does not seem so wholly unexpected. I am very, very sorry. So imprudent a match on both sides. But I am willing to hope the best, and that his character has been misunderstood. Thoughtless and indiscreet, I can easily believe him. But this step, and let us rejoice over it, makes nothing bad at heart. His choice is disinterested, at least, for he must know our father can give her nothing. Our poor mother is sadly grieved. Our father bears it better. How thankful am I that we never let them know what has been said against him. We must forget it ourselves. They were off Saturday night about twelve, as is conjectured, and were not missed till yesterday morning at eight. The express was sent off directly. My dear Lizzie, they must have passed within ten miles of us. Colonel Forster gives us reason to expect him here soon. Lydia left a few lines for his wife, informing her of their intention. I must end this letter, for I cannot be long away from our poor mother. I am afraid you will not be able to make it out, but I hardly know what I have written. Without allowing herself time for consideration, and scarcely knowing what she felt, Elizabeth, on finishing this letter, instantly seized the other, and opening it with the utmost impatience, she read as follows. It had been written a day later than the conclusion of the first. By this time, my dearest Lizzie, you have read my hurried letter. I wish this may be more intelligible, but though not confined for time, my head is so bewildered that I cannot answer for being coherent. Dearest Lizzie, I hardly know what I would write, but I have bad news for you and it cannot be delayed. Imprudent as a marriage between Mr. Wickham and our poor Lydia would be, we are now anxious to be assured it has taken place, for there is but too much reason to fear they are not gone to Scotland. Colonel Forster came yesterday, having left Brighton the day before, not many hours after the express. Though Lydia's short letter to Mrs. Forster gave them to understand that they were going to Gretna Green, something was dropped by Denny expressing his belief that Wickham never intended to go there, or to marry Lydia at all, which was repeated to Colonel Forster. Instantly taking the alarm, 
he set off from Brighton, intending to trace their route. He did trace them easily to Clapham, but no farther. For on entering that place, they removed into a hackney coach and dismissed the carriage that brought them from Epsom. All that is known after this is that they were seen to continue the London road. I know not what to think. After making every possible inquiry on that side of London, Colonel Forster came into Hertfordshire, anxiously renewing them at all the turnpikes and the inns in Barnet and Hatfield. But without any success, no such people had been seen to pass through. With the kindest concern, he came on to Longbourn and broke his apprehensions to us in a manner most creditable to his heart. I am sincerely grieved for him and Mrs. Forster, but no one can throw any blame on them. Our distress, my dear Lizzie, is very great. Our father and mother believe the worst, but I cannot think so ill of him. Many circumstances might make it more eligible for them to be married privately in town than to pursue their first plan. And even if he could form such a design against a young woman of Lydia's connections, which is not likely, can I suppose her so lost to everything? Impossible. I grieve to find, however, that Colonel Forster is not disposed to depend upon their marriage. He shook his head when I expressed my hopes and said he feared Wickham was not a man to be trusted. Our poor mother is really ill and keeps to her room. Could she exert herself, it would be better, but this is not to be expected. And as to our father, I never in my life saw him so affected. Poor Kitty has anger for having concealed their attachment, but, as it was a matter of confidence, one cannot wonder. I am truly glad, dearest Lizzie, that you have been spared something of these distressing scenes. But now, as the first shock is over, shall I own that I long for your return? I am not so selfish, however, as to press for it, if inconvenient. So, I bid you adieu. I take up my pen again to do what I have just told you I would not, but circumstances are such that I cannot help earnestly begging you all to come here as soon as possible. I know my dear uncle and aunt so well that I am not afraid of requesting it, though I have still something more to ask of the former. Our father is going to London with Colonel Forster instantly to try to discover her. What he means to do, I'm sure I know not. But his excessive distress will not allow him to pursue any measure in the best and safest way, and Colonel Forster is obliged to be at Brighton again tomorrow evening. In such an exigence, our uncle's advice and assistance would be everything in the world. He will immediately comprehend what I must feel, and I rely upon his goodness. Oh, where, 
where is my uncle? said Elizabeth, darting from her seat as she finished the letter, in eagerness to follow him, without losing a moment of the time so precious. But as she reached the door, it was opened by a servant, and Mr. Darcy appeared. Her pale face and impetuous manner made him start, and before he could recover himself enough to speak, she, in whose mind every idea was superseded by Lydia's situation, hastily exclaimed, I beg your pardon, but I must leave you. I must find Mr. Gardiner this moment on business that cannot be delayed. I have not an instant to lose. Good God, what is the matter? said he, with more feeling than politeness. Then, recollecting himself, he said, I will not detain you a minute, but let me or let the servant go after Mr. and Mrs. Gardiner. You are not well enough. You cannot go yourself. Elizabeth hesitated, but her knees trembled under her and she felt how little would be gained by attempting to pursue them. Calling back the servant, therefore, she commissioned him, though in so breathless an accent as made her almost unintelligible, to fetch his master and mistress home instantly. <laughs>